Wow, this is exciting. This is exciting. I can't wait to share Philippians with you guys, and I can't wait for Philippians to be shared over the next four weeks. But I want to start off with a story. So usually when there's a big lottery draw that comes up, and sometimes there's tens of millions, and in some cases, hundreds of millions of dollars up for grabs. There's a question that is often asked, and that question is, what would your life look like if you won the lottery? So if you won all this money, what would your life look like? Some people would say, you know what, I would quit my job. Or other people would say, you know what, I would share it with my friends and my family. But usually the answer would be, it would change my life forever. In 2013, there was a man in the US by the name of Willie Seely. Now he won, he was one of three people to win a share of $450 million. So if you can do the math, that is a lot of money. So he won this huge amounts of money. And on the interview, so when the reporters asked, me, asked him and his wife, how are you guys feeling? His response was, happy, happy, happy. He was ecstatic. He said, you know what? I'm quitting my job and I'm going to spend my days hunting, fishing and relaxing. He was like, this is the life. I can't wait. But lo and behold, a few weeks passed and he had friends, he had family, he had strangers, he had the media all chasing him, either for some cash or wanting an interview. And he just kept getting hounded and hounded and hounded. And in fact, Willie and his wife, they weren't feeling happy, happy, happy anymore. They were like, you know what, this is bad. We don't want this anymore. I don't want this money. And in fact, they even, on record, they say, you know what, I wish we'd never won this money. I wish we were still working, and I wish that we weren't famous. We don't want this money. But the question I want to ask you guys this morning is, what does the life look like when it is changed by the gospel? What happens when your life is changed by the gospel? What happens when Jesus comes into your life and radically changes you? There was a man in the Bible, his name was Saul, and later it was changed to Paul. And he had a dramatic change by the gospel. Paul was, he was a very smart man. In fact, he probably knew the first five books of the Bible off by heart. And in actually, probably he knew the whole Testament. And I wouldn't be surprised if he knew all 39 books off by heart. He was incredibly smart. And he was a very, very proud Jew. And he wanted to protect Jewish people from so-called heresies. And in doing so, he persecuted the church so violently. He hated, and hate is a strong word, he hated the Christian church. He wanted to destroy it. He wanted to get rid of it. And in fact, you can read in Acts chapter 7 how he approved of Stephen being stoned. And Stephen was one of the um, church leaders at the time. He wanted him to die. And one day, Paul was on this journey to, to a town called Damascus, where he was going to arrest some Jews and bring them back to Jerusalem. But on the, on the journey there, he had an encounter with Jesus Christ that radically changed him, radically. All of a sudden, this guy, Paul, went from being a person who wanted to persecute and kill the Christians, get rid of them, to a man who was so in love with Jesus that he wanted to tell as many people as possible about him. He had a radical, radical change. 
So let's fast forward 17, 17 years from that point. And Paul is still very much in love with Jesus. And he still wanted to tell as many people as he could about them. And so Paul and his friend Silas, they went to a town called Philippi. Now, Philippi, if you look on today's map, it's in the northern part of Greece. So it's this town in the northern part of Greece, and in those days it was called Macedonia. And we read in Acts chapter 16 how Paul and Silas met three people, Lydia, a slave girl, and a Roman jailer. Now, Lydia, she was a businesswoman, a CEO, A-type person. She was very smart, quite wealthy as well. And when she heard the message of Jesus, her heart was opened and her life was changed and she accepted Jesus. The slave girl, this slave girl who had this spirit in her and the theologians are really smart people. They say that this spirit was called the Python spirit. So this slave girl, she had this thing called a Python spirit in her. And what it caused her to do was she could tell the future. And she was owned by these slave owners who made lots of money from her, lots of money. And when Paul commanded this Python spirit to come out of her, her life was changed by the gospel. And this led to Paul and Silas being flogged and put into jail. And while they were in jail, they were guarded by this Roman jailer. And while Paul and Silas were in jail, they were praying and singing to God. They were just so joyful. And at midnight, a great earthquake came and all the doors of the prison were opened. When that happened, the Roman jailer went, uh-oh, this is a death sentence for me. So he grabbed his sword and he was about to kill himself. And then he heard a voice say, do not harm yourself, don't do it, don't do it. So this Roman jailer, this hardened man who would have actually been an ex-Roman soldier who would have more than likely been to war and killed some people in war. He was a macho, real tough man. All of a sudden, he comes to Paul and Silas trembling, saying, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Or in other words, Sirs, what must I do to be made right before God? And that night, this hardened Roman jailer became a Christian. The gospel changed him. The gospel, the good news of Jesus, can penetrate anyone's heart. From a self-righteous person in Paul, to a CEO, A-type person in Lydia, to a, an abused, mistreated person in the slave girl, to a macho, hardened Roman jailer. The gospel changes everyone. These people were impacted by the gospel. They saw they had a shortcomings in their life and they had no hope of a future. They heard about how Jesus died on the cross and three days later was raised back to life. They heard how they could be made right with God and have a relationship with him. The gospel is for everyone. We all need to be made right before God. And the only way we can do that is through Jesus Christ. Each of these three people had a choice to make. They could either accept the message of Jesus or they could reject it. Lydia could have thought she was too smart and too wealthy for the gospel. The slave girl could have blamed God for her situation and just completely rejected him. 
The jailer could have thought he was too proud and too macho for needing this Jesus. But each of them allowed the gospel to penetrate their hearts. And this is a choice that we are faced with today as well. Are you willing to let the gospel penetrate your heart and accept Jesus into your life? So now we jump another 10 years. And, this, and Paul is in jail again. This time he's in jail in Rome because, well, a long story short, there were some Jewish men who thought Paul was speaking these heresies and have taken him to Rome. And because Paul was a Roman citizen as well, he was able to, able to appeal his sentence before Caesar and hence why he's in Rome. And while he was in prison, we think that Paul wrote four letters in prison. Philemon, Colossians, Ephesians, and Philippians, where we're going to be for the next four weeks. And Paul wrote this letter, this book of Philippians, after this guy by the name of Epaphroditus, who was a leader of the church in Philippi, came from Philippi in the northern part of Greece, that we call it, to Rome, which is where we call Italy, sending this gift to Paul. And Paul, and sorry, and the Philippi church was known as a very generous church. Not only did they financially support Paul in his work, but they also gave money to the poorer churches, especially in Jerusalem, where they were very, very poor, and they helped them financially. But this letter of Philippians is more than a thank you note. It's actually a letter to encourage these people, encourage the Philippi church in their faith, to keep going, to encourage them in their faith. So let's read the first 11 verses of chapter 1 together. It should be on the screen. You can read along with me. This letter is from Paul and Timothy, slaves of Christ Jesus. I'm writing to all of God's people in Philippi who belong to Christ Jesus, including the church leaders and deacons. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Every time I think of you, I give thanks to my God. Whenever I pray, I make my request for all of you with joy. For you have been my partners in spreading the good news about Christ from the first time you heard it until now. And I am certain that God who began the good work within you will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. So it is right that I should feel as I do about all of you, for you have a special place in my heart. You share with me the special favour of God, both in my imprisonment and in defending and confirming the truth of the good news. God knows how much I love you and long for you with the tender compassion of Christ Jesus. I pray that your love will overflow more and more and that you'll keep on growing in knowledge and understanding. For I want you to understand what really matters, so that you may live pure and blameless lives until the day of Christ's return. May you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation, the righteous character produced in your life by Jesus Christ. For this will bring much glory and praise to God. Do you remember the question I asked right at the start? The question is, what does a life changed by the gospel look like? And in the first 11 verses, we get a glimpse of how a life changed by the gospel looks like. And a life that is changed by the gospel, you love deeply. You see, in our world, love can look very selfish. We 
love who we want. We love when we feel it. We love when it's about us. But these first 11 verses talk about love in a very different way. At around this point when Paul was writing this letter of Philippians, he'd been a Christian for 30 years. So he'd been a Christian for quite a long time. And he was still very much in love with Jesus and the church. But I don't know, did you notice some of the words he was using, some of the phrases? Like this, every time I think of you, I give thanks to my God. And whenever I pray, I make my requests for all of you with joy. So a lot of these Christians in Philippi had only been a Christian for 10 years. Some of them a lot less. So compared to Paul, haven't been a Christian for long at all. And even though they had changed dramatically at the time of their conversion, like Lydia and the Roman jailer, they're still being sanctified. So it's a fancy word, it's meaning growing to be more like Jesus. So they're still growing to be more like Jesus. I remember as a kid, especially in my teenage years, I'd always have growing pains in my knees, always. And those growing pains would always amp up, like I could feel it a lot more whenever I had to do some work. <laughs> and you know what? The power, the power, I don't know, just something happens. The pain was a lot more manageable when we got to play cricket or football or anything that I didn't have to do any work. But you see, that's what Paul says. Paul's hoping, in verse 6, it says, I am certain that God who began the good work within you will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day of Jesus Christ. So we are all still growing. So Paul is saying, you're still growing. You're still growing in Jesus. There's still going to be some growing pains. You're still going to grow. Today, you might be going through a really tough time, really tough time. Or you may have done a sin or some sins and you just feel so ashamed. You feel absolutely dirty and you feel as though there's no way. There's no way God can love me anymore. I've called myself a Christian, but there's no way he, I could be a Christian. Nah, God doesn't love me anymore. Can I encourage you with the words of Jesus? In John chapter 10 and 28, he says, I, which is Jesus, give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one can snatch them, those of us who love and trust Jesus away from me. You are God's. You are his. No one can snatch you away from him. And that is why Paul can be so bold in saying that God has started a work in you. He started a work in you, and he's going to keep doing it until the day that Jesus returns. While you have breath in your lungs, he is still doing a work in you. And when your life is changed by the gospel and Jesus comes into your life and radically changes you, when God can, does that sanctifying work, so growing to be more like Jesus' work in you, you will love people like Paul. Look at what Paul says in verse 8. He says, God knows how much I love you and long for you with the tender compassion of Christ Jesus. Other versions will say the affections of Jesus. Now, the Greek word that would go here is this funny word called splanknitsomai. I had to practice that every day to get that right. Splanknitsomai. And what splanknitsomai means is like the internal organs. It's a part of the body that reacts to like an intense emotion. It's like that 
butterfly feelings or that sick feeling you get like that real oh, you know that fit you know the feeling like in our today today's culture would say if you want to express how much you love someone you'd go i love you with all my heart or i love this with all my heart so that's how we express how much we love in the ancient greeks they had say something like this translated to english i love you with all my guts Husbands, say that to your wives today. See how you go. It is a love. It is a love that involves one's entire being. It involves everything, every part of you. It is a love that the father had when the prodigal son came back home. It is this love. It's a love that only can come from someone who's been changed by Jesus. A love that loves people when they are nice and kind to you. It is a love that loves people when they mock you and hate you and wish all kinds of ill on you. We can see that Paul had a deep love for this church. Ooh, cool. I wonder, do you have that same deep love as Paul did for our church? Paul loves this Philippian church so much. It seems that a life that is changed by the gospel has a deep love for the church community as well. If you have been changed by the gospel, if you love Jesus, you will love the church. So what is the life changed by the gospel look like? It is rejoicing that this gospel, this message of Jesus is being advanced, it's being told. In our world, success looks like when you get lots of money or you become famous or your family and your friends are doing really well. The life that is changed by the gospel, success looks like the gospel being advanced. When you go home, have a read of verse 12 to 19 in chapter 1 and you'll see that Paul is rejoicing that the gospel is being proclaimed. And despite Paul being in prison and people proclaiming the gospel out of selfish motives, Paul was excited. He was so happy that the message of Jesus was being proclaimed. He was so happy it was going out despite his situation. How are you going with the gospel being advanced? Are you rejoicing that the message of Jesus is being told despite the situation you're in? Are you rejoicing that Jesus is being told? So we've looked at how the gospel changes the way we love. We looked at how the gospel changes the way we look at success. And verses 20 to 30, we look at how the gospel produces hope. Not just a cross-your-fingers kind of hope, but an assurance that in the end we will be with Jesus. Let's read these 10 verses, the last 10 verses in chapter 1. For I fully expect and hope that I will never be ashamed, but that I will continue to be bold for Christ as I have been in the past. And I trust that my life will bring honour to Christ, whether I live or die. Now, this is my favourite verse in chapter 1. For to me, living means living for Christ, and dying is even better. But if I live, I can do more fruitful work for Christ. 
So I really don't know which is better. I am torn between two desires. I long to go and be with Christ, which would be far better for me. But for your sakes, it is better that I continue to live. Knowing this, I am convinced that I will remain alive so I can continue to help all of you grow and experience the joy of your faith. And when I come to you again, you'll have even more reason to take pride in Christ Jesus because of what he is doing through me. Above all, above all, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. Then whether I come and see you again or only hear about you, I will know that you are standing together with one spirit and one purpose, fighting together for the faith, which is the good news. Don't be intimidated in any way by your enemies. This will be a sign to them that they are going to be destroyed, but that you are going to be saved even by God himself. For you have been given not only the privilege of trusting in Christ, but also the privilege of suffering for him. We are in this struggle together. You have seen my struggle in the past, and you know that I am still in the midst of it. That verse 21, in a different version it says, For, for to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. For Paul, he had so much joy when the message of Jesus was advancing. But, you see, Paul was looking forward to a day that he would pass from this earth, where he would see Jesus face to face. And so it is with us, where one day we will be with Jesus forever, where Jesus will wipe away every tear from your eyes and death will be no more. Neither will there be mourning or crying nor pain anymore, for all these things will be gone forever. But, but while we are here on earth, we have to keep advancing the gospel, the good news of Jesus. And while we do that, we are to live a life that matches this message of Jesus. Living a life that shows love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Living a life that willingly forgives others because God, through Christ Jesus, forgave you. So while we are here on earth, we as a church are to stand together side by side with one spirit and one purpose, motivated to tell the good news of Jesus but while we are here on earth, while we do have the privilege of trusting in Jesus, we also have the privilege of suffering for Jesus too. Why would anyone want to go to the most dangerous places in the world to share the message of Jesus? Why would my dad's uncle and his auntie pack up their family in the 1980s from a comfortable live life in Australia to take their family to the jungles of Bolivia to share the message of Jesus. Why would anyone want to do that unless the gospel has changed them and they count it as a privilege to suffer for Jesus so that the message of Jesus could be told? What is the life changed by the gospel look like? 
It is when you are so sure of your hope in Jesus that you're willing to go through anything for the gospel to be told to someone. The message, the gospel, of, the, gospel the message of Jesus is so beautiful and so glorious to tell. But we know that suffering can be hard. It, it's not easy. It is hard. And that is why we need to be reminded of why we are willing to suffer. And as Christians, we believe that this world is not our home. In Philippians chapter 3 and verse 20, we are told, We are citizens of heaven, where the Lord Jesus Christ lives. So what is a God, what is a life changed by the gospel look like? It is knowing that while we are here on earth, we know that one day soon we will be with Jesus and we will receive our full joy, not just a part of it, but the full joy when we get to be with Jesus forever. So going back to Lydia, the slave girl, and the Roman jailer, before they came to know Jesus in their life, they were probably consumed with themselves. Lydia was probably consumed in trying to make as much money as she could. The slave girl was probably worried about her next meal, like just general day-to-day -day life. The Roman jailer was consumed with making Rome happy. But as they heard the message of Jesus Christ and allowed it to penetrate their heart, they changed. The gospel has power to change. I wonder, has the gospel changed you? Do you love others deeply and sacrificially? Are you consumed with the gospel being told? Do you have a sure hope that where you will be when you pass from this earth? My desire for each of you here this morning is that you will have a relationship with Jesus. For those of you who already do, let me finish with this. My prayer and hope is that you will continue to love deeper. You'll continue to advance the gospel and you will hold onto your hope. Let me pray. Our Father, we thank you. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you that he is our hope. We thank you that you're the reason for us to live. You're the reason that we go through the good times and the bad times. And Lord, I just pray that you'll help us this week to trust you more. In Jesus' name, amen.